I've just been thinking about how often I walk in a church, I listen to a sermon, and I've not once prayed for God to open my heart. Because the reality is each one of us goes throughout a very tough week, right? We're faced with sin, temptations, trials, hardships. And if we're not careful, we can walk in Sunday with all those things kind of weighing on our hearts, and we're very distracted. So when we open God's word, our mind is elsewhere. So what I want to do before we jump in today is just have a time of prayer, uh, just praying that the Lord, through the Holy Spirit's power, would open up our hearts. And my hope is that this would not be a prayer where you just sit there and listen, but you pray as well, and you ask God to open your heart, right? Because we believe that the Bible is a spiritual book written and inspired by God. So to truly understand it, to truly gain something from it, we need the Holy Spirit to speak to us. So let's do that in these next few moments, and then we'll dive in to Jeremiah chapter 1. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so glad to be here. Uh, there's just a, a great gathering of the saints in your house today. And I know that all of us have gone through different things this week, different trials. We've sinned in different ways. We've fallen in different ways. We have uh, just struggled in unique personal ways to each of us. And I just pray that in these next few moments, you would just give us hearts that are ready to hear your word. Give us minds that are ready to, uh, to follow along, God. Open our hearts. Open our minds. May your spirit speak to us in mighty ways. Would you use me as your servant in these next few moments? We'll pray all this for your name and to your glory. Amen. So there's a truth for all of us, right, is that we all make plans in life, right? How many of you make plans? I hope that everybody raises their hands. We all make plans, whether it's planning a, a weekend getaway or a dream family vacation. Some of us are planning for retirement, putting money away, investing, doing all that we can so we can retire at a good age and live a easy life. Some of us plan, uh, plan career moves. We say, I'm going to work this job, make this money, then I'll move on to here, then I'll go there. We plan our uh, moving, our houses, right? We get a house and we say, this is not my forever home, but I'll be here a few years, then I'll move to this, and then I'll move to this, and then I'll finally have that house that's perfect, right? We all plan, don't we? And I would imagine that all of you have a plan laid out in your mind that you want your life to go this way. And you're secretly hoping, man, I really want everything to work out just how I've planned it. And you will be disappointed if it doesn't work out that way. I remember while I was on the campus at Southeastern Seminary in the dorms, I was surrounded by a lot of good, uh, lot of good guys who were going into ministry, loved the Lord, but it was always funny. I would talk to some of them and I would realize that they had planned out how God was going to use them in ministry. You would sit there and talk to them, and they would be like, oh, I'm going to finish this degree, then I'll be a youth pastor, and then I'll start a master's degree, and then I'll move on to a bigger youth ministry and kind of get my name out there, then I'll graduate, then I'll go to this church. And, and they had planned their whole life and ministry out. And I thought it was kind of funny. I was like, man, God's giving you a clear vision on exactly where he wants you to go and what he wants you to do. Uh, and it's always funny that we all do this. We all plan our lives out, and to a certain extent, that's healthy and that's normal, right? If you don't plan, you're probably going to fail. It's normal to have plans in life. But the Bible would tell us this, that God also has a plan for our life that is far greater than ours and should be uh, pursued with greater intensity, right? You may have a plan, and that's okay. I may have a plan, and that's okay. But God ultimately has a sovereign plan that he's laid on your life that is far greater than anything you and I could come up with. And we should pursue it and align ourselves under that plan with uh, a great intensity, a great desire to, I want to live out the plan of God in my life. And it's cool to think about this. The God of heaven has a plan for you. He knows your name. He knows what you're going through. And he's marked out steps for you to walk in. He has a plan for your life. We should not uh, come to church so often that when we hear something like that, we don't marvel at the truth that God has a plan 
for each of us. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And this morning we're going to look at the call of the prophet of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1. And I hope that we'll kind of do two things this morning. I hope that we're going to be encouraged that God does have a plan for us. And you're going to be strengthened in the fact that you know that you have a divine purpose in this life. But I also hope that we'll be challenged. That God's word will kind of rub up against our hearts. And that we will be challenged to pursue God's plan more so than ours. Right? That we would devote ourselves to service of God and to the great commission and to ministry to him. So a little context of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah prophesied during the reign of the last five kings of Judah and during the early days of Judah's exile. And at the time of his call to the ministry, the empires of Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon were fighting for dominion of the ancient Near East. Judah, where God's people were, was insignificant in its strength and power, but because of its geographical location, it was relevant. They, they had to deal with a lot. They were in the center of everything. And so Jeremiah would see that Babylon would defeat all the other nations, and they would become very powerful, very strong. And all throughout this, Jeremiah would speak faithfully on the behalf of the Lord. He would speak words of judgment, words of encouragement. He would call out Judah. He would call out the nations. And if you read all throughout the book of Jeremiah, you see him speaking on behalf of the Lord. And so it's with that, let's read the text in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. It says this. The word of the Lord came to me. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. But I protested, oh no, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak since I'm only a youth. Then the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth, for you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and told me, I have now filled your mouth with my words. See, I have appointed you today over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and demolish, to build and plant. This is the holy word of God. Let it speak to us this morning. I want to see three things from this text. I want us to walk away with uh, three things. The first is that God had a plan for Jeremiah. And I'll just say this up front. This is a great text that advocates for the sanctity of life, right? For the unborn in the womb all the way to the tomb. This is an amazing text for that. However, I think the main point of the passage drives us in a different way, so I won't really be focusing on that. We do see that God is intimately and, and actively involved with the unborn and that he knows their names and he loves them and that it's a human life. That is true, but I won't be going that direction today. And if you say, man, I really wish you would, you could go back to our podcast and live stream archive and go to January 17th, uh, 2021, and you can hear Pastor David speak from this text from that viewpoint. But I want to look at this as we see the passage starts. It says, the word of the Lord has come to Jeremiah. This would happen throughout Jeremiah's life. God would speak to him, would give him a message, and then he would go and deliver it to people. God would speak and he would relay it. That is the goal uh, or the message of a prophet. Excuse me, sorry. So the phrase, the word of the Lord, would show up all throughout the book of Jeremiah. And so here in this passage, Jeremiah is reflecting back on when the word of the Lord first came to him, when God first spoke to him and called him in to ministry. You can find a similar passage in Isaiah 6 when the prophet Isaiah is called into the ministry, when the word of the Lord comes to him. So what we see in this section and what we will see is that God has a plan for Jeremiah's life before Jeremiah's plan or before Jeremiah's life 
started. Look at verse uh, 5 in the language that's used there. Whenever you study your Bible, you don't just want to read through it casually. You really want to study and dig in and pay attention to the the words that are being used, the verbs, the adjectives, all of this. Look at this in verse 5. He says, I chose you before I formed you. I set you apart. I appointed you. These verbs are a clear depiction of the fact that God was involved in Jeremiah's life before his life began. He said, I chose you before I formed you. God was actively involved in Jeremiah's life. Your Bible might say this. It might say, God knew him. I knew you before you were formed. And it's this beautiful idea that God doesn't just have a knowledge of us, right? Because he's God. It, it would make sense that he would know people before they were born. But this new, the way it's translated, the, what it means is that God has an intimate knowledge of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of his people. God knew him intimately. He knew him well, it's a, a beautiful idea, and this idea that God knows his people before they're born is seen all throughout Scripture. Look at Psalm 139, 16. It says, Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Before the psalmist breath, uh, breathed his first breath, walked his first uh, step, God had planned out everything in his life. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth, and this is true of Jeremiah, that God had set him apart and appointed him before his life began. One commentator would note this. He would say the language used to describe God's activity in Jeremiah's life before he was born would have been a great encouragement to him. I don't know if you know this about prophets, but they weren't popular guys, because they would often go to a nation, they would go to the Israelites or someone else, and they would speak words of judgment. They would say, you're wicked, you're not obeying God, and if you don't repent, God will send his judgment on you. So they, you can imagine, they weren't really popular guys. They uh, didn't have a lot of fans, they didn't have a lot of following. Jeremiah would experience great hate, great trials, and hardships throughout his 40 years of ministry as a prophet. But yet he would be able to reflect back on his calling and say, you know what? God has called me to this. So in the times of struggle, when he might have been tempted to walk away from his calling, walk away from the ministry, he could look back and know that God is with me. He chose me before the foundation of the earth. It's beautiful. And what we see with true clarity from this passage is that Jeremiah was born with a purpose and a plan in this life. God had a plan for his life. Everything that would happen to Jeremiah, the good, the bad, the ugly, was a part of God's good and perfect plan for him. He would not go one day without a divine purpose over his life. Every single day he would have a reason to wake up and to serve the Lord because God had given him purpose and had a plan for him. It's interesting when we turn to the New Testament, you see the Apostle Paul shares a similar experience in Galatians 1. He says this, but when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. We see here that God was involved in the life of the Apostle Paul, and we know about the Apostle Paul. He did many wicked things. He persecuted the church, then he got saved, and then he himself was persecuted on behalf of the church. He did all sorts of crazy stuff, had all sorts of trials go his way, and God is saying that all of that, God was planning that and using that and had a purpose behind it all. Like Jeremiah and Paul, God knew you before he formed you. And like these great men of God, God has a plan, a will for your life. If you are standing here today breathing, then that means that God is not finished with you. That God still has steps that he wants you to take. He's the giver and taker of life. So if you have life today, then you have a purpose. Look at Ephesians 2.10. 
It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. One commentator by the name of Clinton Arnold says this, commenting on that verse. In eternity past, God not only chose the people to be in relationship with him, but he marked out a path for them to walk. This is a path of good works which should characterize their lives throughout their Christian journey and bring glory to God. I think we live in a time where so many people are beginning to feel like they don't have purpose, like they don't have a plan in this life, because the Bible would tell us this, that you and I are created to be uh, united with God, right? So we're created to walk with him, to follow him, to follow his word. So whenever you and I stray from God, whenever we start to go our own way, follow our own plan, life begins to lose its purpose. Because true purpose, true meaning is found in a relationship with God. It's found with walking with him daily. And when we don't do that, when we stray from him or we don't even know him as our savior, we can begin to feel hopeless. Like we don't have a purpose in this life. What's the point of waking up? But if we have God in our life, he directs us, he, he uh, encourages us. And as these words encourage Jeremiah, they should encourage you. Because I would imagine there's many people in here today that are sitting here wondering, what is God doing in my life? Why are these things happening? What's going on? What's his purpose? What's his plan? We can be comforted in the fact that he does have a plan. If you think about Jeremiah, he was a prophet of the Lord called to speak on behalf of God to the nations. And what does that make you think of? Think for a second. He's called to the nations to speak. How does that relate to you? What is that, uh, where does your mind go? What scripture do you think of? Because I was reflecting on this and thought of the Great Commission. Are we not, as God's people, called to go to the nations and make disciples? Are we, as God's people, not called to speak the gospel on behalf of the Lord? Are we not his messengers, his ambassadors, as uh, First or Second Corinthians would tell us? I'm not saying we're many prophets or we're Jeremiah, but we are called called to go to the nations, called to go to our neighbors. Listen to the Great Commission, the last words of Jesus to the church. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Get this. Did you know that you are called to ministry? You know it's just not the pastors and uh, the people that work at the church that are called to ministry. We all, if you were in the body of Christ, are called to Great Commission ministry. You're a minister. You're an uh, ambassador of God. You are called to a life that is supposed to be dedicated to this Great Commission, to the glory of God. Just as God chose Jeremiah and set him apart and appointed him to be a prophet, you, if you're in the family of God, have been chosen by God to make disciples of all nations. And so you might say this morning, what is my purpose in this life? What is God calling me to do to make disciples to his glory? That is your calling. And I'll just say this now. I think I'm going to say it later, but I'll say it now. Whatever plan that you have in your life should be shaped by that calling. Whatever you seek to do in this life, whatever you're doing now, should align with the call of the Great Commission, because it rests on every single Christian. There's not Great Commission Christians and sideline Christians. No, we're all called to this. And we all should shape our life around this. And we live in America, which gives us so many freedoms, so many beauties, but it hurts the church so much, because we're so distracted. 
building careers, building a nice house, building wealth. And when in reality, we should be focused on building the kingdom of God first and foremost. Not that those other things are bad, but we are called to be Great Commission people. As Jeremiah was called to be a prophet, you and I are called to be disciple makers. And I know someone's in here probably like, oh man, not another Great Commission sermon. I, I, I've heard this one too many times, but let me just say this. This is not a Great Commission sermon. It's the life of Jeremiah, but applied to you. And if we are in the body of Christ, we should be a Great Commission people. And if we're Great Commission people, we should never get sick of hearing God's saints being called to the work of ministry, of making disciples. That's our, our phrase here at Calvary. Be disciples who make disciples. Are we doing that, church? Are we living that way? And listen to this. Great Commission ministry, it'll look different for each one of us. For me, I'm, I'm pastoring right now. For some, they're on the mission field. For you, you might still be a businessman, businesswoman, stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, teenager, going to school, going to college. doesn't mean that you have to drop everything and go to seminary. It looks different for each one of us. Obviously, it contains the sharing the gospel, the baptizing, the teaching. But it looks different for each one of us. The Holy Spirit will nudge and push us in unique ways because all of us are gifted differently, but we are all called to great commission ministry and we should never be tired of hearing jesus's final words to us and so i hope that this would one comfort us right that god does have a will for you that you have a purpose every single day and two let it challenge us let us be the people that we are called to be great commission people that's our purpose that's what we're called to do let us not spend time on anything else if it's not in some way or another furthering the gospel all of our life should be shaped by the gospel and the sharing of it to the people around us. And the second thing we'll see from this text is that Jeremiah had feelings of inadequacy. Look at verse 6. He says this. This is Jeremiah speaking. He says, but I protested, oh no, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak since I'm only a youth. So Jeremiah knows that God's called him. It's clear. God has spoken to him, but he's beginning to protest. He's saying, no, God. I can't do that. That's not for me. I'm too young. I, I, I can't do this. He gives two reasons. One, that he lacks skill. He says, I don't know how to speak. I'm not a good speaker. I don't have the ability to fulfill your call. I, I can't be a prophet. I'm not a good speaker. This is similar to the call of Moses when Moses protests the Lord and says, no, I can't speak. You can't send me. And then he also gives youth as an excuse. He says, I'm young. <laughs> I'm but a teenager. Most scholars would say that Jeremiah was anywhere between uh, 17 to 20 years old. So he's saying, I'm young. I can't speak. I don't have the wisdom or the life experience. And that phrase, I don't know, if you were to look at that in the Hebrew, you would find that it's in the perfect form, which means that Jeremiah, in his mind, it was a settled fact that he couldn't serve the Lord in this way. He had convinced himself that he could not fulfill God's call for his life. So I can't do it. He's, in his mind, has disqualified himself from ministry, and I wonder how often we do the same thing. How often we feel the Holy Spirit calling us to something, we read the Great Commission, we read scripture, and then we begin to say, oh, I can't do that. I know I do this. Say, no, 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 I can't talk to that person about the gospel, or I, I, I can't go on that mission trip, I can't uh, love this person in that way, or have that conversation, or follow those commands of scripture. I can't do that because X, Y, Z. We can relate to Jeremiah. We often talk ourselves out of following the Lord. And Jeremiah has these feelings of inadequacy. He has 
feelings of weakness, of shortcomings, and he thinks that they will keep him from following God's will. But here's the cool thing, and we'll see this as we study through the passage. Jeremiah's shortcomings, his lack of skill, his lack of age, it's not important. You say, why is that? Because God was the one calling him. And God's ability to use Jeremiah was not dependent on anything that Jeremiah was bringing to the table. It was not dependent on what Jeremiah could or couldn't do. It was dependent on God working in him. Nothing Jeremiah would bring to the table would affect God's perfect plan for his life. Listen to John Piper. He says this, every believer's life is rooted in the unshakable sovereign purposes of our God. So if that's true, then our inadequacies, they don't matter. Our, Our lack of skill doesn't matter because that's God's plan for us. If what John Piper is saying is true, if what the book of Jeremiah is saying here is true, then our doubts, our excuses, our fears, they don't matter. Because God is the one calling us, and who God calls, he will equip. God will never call you to do something that he can't do through you. That the Holy Spirit can't give you enough strength to do. Can't do it on your own, but through God you can do what he has called you to do. No man or woman Beast, demon, government can stop the sovereign purposes of God. No one. We serve a God that is far too big to be stopped by you or to be stopped by me. So big, so great. And I would ask you this. What would you list as your inadequacies when it comes to doing Great Commission ministry? When it comes to following the Lord's will? When you feel the Holy Spirit's nudge, what do you typically begin to tell yourself? Like, what are the typical reasons that you come up with, oh, I can't do that? I can't share the gospel with them. I can't. What is it? What do you fill in? How do you, how do you end that sentence? How do you uh, talk yourself out of doing ministry? I would say identify those. Identify the excuses and the doubts. Pray against them and confront them with scripture. And let's do that in the next section. Number three, inadequacy is overcome by the presence of God. We'll start in verse uh, seven. It says this, then the Lord said to me, do not say, I am only a youth, for you will go to everyone I send to you, and speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and told me, I have now filled your mouth with my words. See, I have appointed you today over nations and kingdoms to uproot, tear down, to destroy and demolish, to build and to plant. And what we see here is that Jeremiah's doubts, excuses, shortcomings, they don't matter. They're irrelevant because God is the one calling him and God is with him. Notice God doesn't say, no, Jeremiah, you're an amazing speaker. That's why I called you. Or he doesn't say, no, 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 Jeremiah, you're young, but you're wise beyond your ears. Years. Don't worry. That's what made me notice you. He doesn't say that. He doesn't deny the fact that Jeremiah may not be qualified or he may be too young, but it just doesn't matter. And hear me, whatever you think is stopping you from living out a radical life shaped by the gospel does not matter. It doesn't matter because God is here with us, empowering us. God looks to Jeremiah and commands him. He says, do not say I am only a youth. It doesn't matter because I'm equipping you. What I call you to do, I will equip you to do. And I just want to camp out on this section real quick. Um, if you know anything about the Puritans and all the, the good things they did and all the, the, the sinful things that they did, they were known for camping out on one verse in the Bible and writing like whole books on just one verse. 
Uh, they would take it in context and all that, but they would just take a verse and try to squeeze out all the biblical truth that they could, and they would write whole books. It's incredible. And so I want to do that with this phrase, don't say I'm only a youth, because I want to speak to the teenagers and, and younger people in here for just a moment. Listen to this. Youth has never been a disqualifying factor when it comes to one's ability to advance the kingdom of God and to be used to bring glory to God. Do you realize that? Youth has never been listed as something that disqualifies you from Great Commission ministry. Your age will never discredit you, count you out, or push you to the side when it comes to being used by the Holy Spirit of God. David Gazik, I, I think I say his name right, uh, points out a few ways or things that we should consider in this light. He says, consider King David, who was only a youth when he was called by God, when he was noticed to be more faithful than his brothers, and he was anointed by God to be king of Israel. Consider John the Baptist, who was a baby in his mother's womb and was filled with the Holy Spirit. Consider Timothy, though he was very young, God used him to grow the New Testament church, and Paul speaks to Timothy saying this, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity. That kind of wraps up the Christian walk, doesn't it? Consider the disciples of Jesus. Some scholars would say that, yes, some of them were on the older side, but at the time of the crucifixion, some of the disciples, the disciples of Jesus were just teenagers <laughs> when Christ was crucified. Teenagers. The ones casting out demons and, and walking with Christ for three years. Consider the life of the missionary Hudson Taylor, who, when he was 17 years old, dared to seek God, and he totally uh, surrendered himself to God's will. Almost immediately, he felt a distinct impression that God wanted him to be a missionary to China, and he began to prepare for the mission field by living the kind of life by faith he wanted to live on the mission field, and living it right there in England. By the time he was 22, he arrived in Shanghai. 17 feels called, does what he needs to do, and by 22, he's on the mission field in China. Hudson Taylor did amazing things, and I, this is what I believe. I think we have set such a low standard for youth in the church. Our expectations of teenagers and what they can do for the kingdom of God is like all the way down here. Like when you hear people talk about teenagers, what do they expect from a teenager? Immaturity, lack of wise decision makings, sin, excuses for sin. Like no one really seems to truly expect that teenagers can impact the kingdom of God, that can be great commission ministers. We expect such little and then we see such little from them. But the reality is this, that the Holy Spirit working through young people can accomplish just as much as he does when he works through old people. Realize this, there is not a JV Holy Spirit and a varsity level Holy Spirit. You don't get like a bigger or better Holy Spirit once you graduate college and you've finally grown up. If you're a Christian and a young person, you have the same Holy Spirit that a pastor of many, many years has or great missionaries had or Peter, or Paul had. You have the same Holy Spirit working inside of you, and you can do so much for the kingdom of God. And I wonder what would happen if we as a church begin to pray for our teenagers like they could make an impact, like they could do Great Commission ministry because you can. Hear me on this. Youth is not an excuse. You cannot use your youth and say, oh, I'm just not living for the Lord right now because I'm young. I'm 16, 17, 20, 23, 24. No, youth is not an excuse. If you are a Christian, you are called by God to live out the Great Commission, and you can do it, right? Because anytime a Christian does anything powerful, 
preach, people get saved, go on a mission field, anytime. That's the Holy Spirit working through them. So you as a teenager have the same Holy Spirit working inside of you, moving in you. So if you look at an older adult and you're like, oh man, I want to be a Christian like them someday. You can begin to walk like them now by the power of the Holy Spirit and as God's word as your guide through this life. And church, would we pray for our teenagers that they would step up and rise up to great commission ministry. Youth is not an excuse. And for that matter, doubt is not an excuse for anyone in the room. Sin's not an excuse. Our careers are not an excuse. Our families are not an excuse. When the almighty God of heaven is calling you, there is no excuse that will ever do. Nothing. Nothing. I fear that many of us will get to the end of our life and realize that we devoted ourselves to this, to that, to my business, to my families, to my work, to my sports, to this and that. And all that time, the world around us was perishing. All that time, we didn't once think about the Great Commission. We didn't once make a life decision in light of what God wanted us to do. You all do this. I do this. It is very, very tempting to make decisions according to my plans for my life not God's. I would say, let us not offer excuses, whatever your excuse may be. Let us not do that. Instead, let us offer ourselves uh, in humble devotion to the Great Commission, the proclamation of the gospel, the making of disciples, the walking in the good works that God has prepared us out. Let us offer ourselves to God and be a Great Commission church. We see in verse 7 that God commands Jeremiah to not use his youth as an excuse. In verse 8, he comforts Jeremiah. He says, do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to rescue you. I love the comforting hand of God in this text. I was looking, uh, Googling, I was like, I'm kind of interested to see, like, how many times is the phrase, do not be afraid, in the Bible? And you got to be careful with Google, because one person wrote this huge article and said, it's mentioned 365 days, or 365 times in the Bible. So that's a reminder every day to not be afraid. And I was like, that's incredible. How did I not know that? And then just a little more research, and you see that it's, depending on the translation, mentioned a little over a hundred times, which is still a lot. Over a hundred times in Scripture, God speaks to his people in different circumstances and says, do not be afraid. I am with you. That's what Jeremiah needed in this moment as he's doubting himself, uh, saying that he can't do it. He needed the reminder that God was with him. That's how he overcomes his inadequacies. One writer would say this, when God calls us, he equips us with what is needed to carry out the assigned task. For Jeremiah, it was the promise of God's presence and deliverance from any threatening situation that the reluctant prophet needed to hear. Jeremiah needed comfort, and God gave it. He was called into a ministry that would be hard. Anytime you commit yourself to ministry, and I'm not talking full-time ministry, just great commission ministry, as we're all called to do, it will be a hard life. It will not always be easy, but it is one of the greatest honors that we have in this life, that God has given us the responsibility to share his gospel message to the world. It's the greatest thing that you can devote yourself to, that you can give yourself over to. As we tr transition, we see one last thing that God commissions Jeremiah. In verses 9 and 10, we see that he touches Jeremiah's lip, he empowers him with his words. Again, we see God equipping who he calls. He touches Jeremiah and fills him with his words. Campbell Morgan would say this, Among all the prophets of the Hebrew people, none was more heroic 
and Jeremiah. And this all starts with God calling him, comforting him, and empowering him. It's all God. And I'll, I'll, I'll continue to move on just for sake of time. I would ask us this. How are you responding to the call of God on your life? Hopefully with excitement, but I would imagine all of us could reflect a little bit and say, man, I could do better. Because it truly is the greatest honor in this life to be used by God, to be known by God, to be loved by God, and to be able to share that with other people. It's the greatest thing that you can do. There's a, a song I like to listen to, and the, the artist is talking in the song, and he says, man, I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize I climbed a two-foot ladder. And isn't that what it feels like we do sometimes? We, we struggle, we, we work hard, we build this nice life, and then we get to the end. Does it all really matter how successful you were? Does that matter? What college you went to, does that truly matter? As long as you're honoring God in all of it, it can be a part of his will for you. But the most important thing that we can do is share, shout the gospel message. And it's convicting to say this because I know there's people in my life that I haven't shared the gospel with. That I've had opportunity after opportunity and I've passed up. Let us not do that. An application, I've got a minute left, uh, so just hold on. Brothers and sisters, I would ask us this. Take great encouragement in the fact that God has a plan for your life. You will never live a day without purpose. Every breath you breathe in this life is a sign that God still has a plan for you. But we must remember, our plans are not always God's plans, so we must make sure that we align our plans under his plans. We must make sure. I was at the uh, SBC Southern Baptist Convention uh, a few months ago in Nashville, and there was a sending service for missionaries, IMB missionaries. It was really, really cool. They were commissioning about 60 people, couples, families that were about to go to the mission field. And it was really cool. Uh, they would walk up onto the stage. They would stand. They would share their names, share why they feel called to that certain region, and they would uh, give a prayer request, how we could pray for them. And, and couple after couple would walk up. But there was like a little barrier or a screen that some couples would walk up behind. And it was because the place that they were going to was hostile to the gospel. So if their face and their names got out, and it got out that they were going to be missionaries, they could be killed, captured, tortured. So they would walk up behind these little barriers. And this one couple walks up, they stand behind the barrier, you kind of see their shadow. And the husband starts and says, we're leaving our dream jobs at NASA to go to the mission field. And they were going somewhere in the middle. They couldn't say what it was, they couldn't say their names. And I was sitting there and I was like, who in the world leaves a dream job at NASA to go to the mission field? possibly be killed who does that why do you do that that's the great commission that's the gospel at work it takes precedence above everything dream job at nasa i can't even imagine what he was doing so cool but he said you know what it's more important that i devote myself to the great commission that i devote myself to following the lord they would go to a dangerous place they would leave money wealth and a life of just success behind to spread the gospel to a nation that needed it. Somebody who's following God will do things and devote themselves to great commissionary, a great commission ministry that seems crazy to our world. I was listening to another video talking about Norman Geisler. He's an apologist that has since passed away. But he was talking, he was in a, a, a Bible college and listening at a chapel and a missionary got up, a, a missionary of 14 years, and he said, you know what? I, I've been a missionary for 14 years and guess what? 
I never felt like I was called to missions. Because you talk to some missionaries and they'd be like, oh, I was sitting here and, and God spoke to me gently and this and that. He said, I didn't have that. I just read in the Bible that I was supposed to be a missionary and go to the nation, so I went. And I thought, wow, that's incredible. Because the gospel leads the people of God to do that which is radical in the eyes of the world. And that's two examples. Just pack it up and go to the nations to share the gospel. Because it's a command in scripture. I think missionaries understand the Great Commission far better than you and I do because they devote their whole life to it. And I'm not saying you have to go across uh, to another country to devote yourself to the Great Commission, but there's a need. Would all of us, would all of us wrestle with the idea of going to the mission field? And already you're saying, no, no I can't do that for this reason, that reason. I've got kids, got a job, I can't do this, just got a house. I can't go to the mission field. Would we wrestle with that? Because I've heard it said, you should not ask if you should go to the mission field, but you should ask why you shouldn't. Because your reasons for staying better be very, very strong. I would love to see some people leave our church, not because they got mad, not because they're heading down to uh, a different church, but because they're going to the nations with the gospel. I would also love to see us live like great commission missionaries here in Raleigh, in your schools, at your job, in your apartment complex, in your neighborhood. Let us herald the gospel message. Next. You may feel inadequate to follow God's will for your life. Second Corinthians says this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I would say this, embrace your weakness. Because God can use it. God can work in you. It's beautiful. It's amazing what the Holy Spirit can do through a willing Christian. And then uh, just real quickly, I want to talk to the parents and the teens uh, in here. First, teenagers, don't use your youth as an excuse. Don't let middle school, high school, and college pass you by without ever considering God's will for your life. Throughout history, God has used young people to advance his kingdom. What could God do in your life if right now, in your teenage and college years, you said, here I am, Lord, send me wherever you want me to go. What could God do? Brent Crow said this. He's uh, uh, very involved in student ministries. He says, what would you do for the glory of God if you knew you would not fail? And that can be for everybody. What would you do for the glory of God if you knew you wouldn't fail? Young people, I would challenge you to think about that, to dream about that, to answer that question, and then pray that the Holy Spirit would empower you to do that. Parents, I want to ask you this very humbly, very gently. What steps are you taking to ensure that your students can be used by God? LifeWay Research did studies, and it showed that students are dropping out of the church at record rates. They found that 66% of students will drop out of church after high school, and of 71 of those students, or 71% of those 66 did not plan to drop out of the church. They didn't plan to leave the church. That's heartbreaking. LifeWay Research found 10 main reasons for why students stay in church, and I'll just list a few for you. Number one was adults investing in uh, students between ages 15 to 18. Number two was students regularly reading their Bible privately prior to the age of 18. Number five was youth feeling like youth leaders genuinely cared about them. Number seven was parents wanting them to attend the church. Number eight was parents genuine liking, genuinely liking church. And number nine was fathers attending church. Why do I mention these statistics? One, it breaks my heart. 
to see so many young people walking away from the Lord for a season and sometimes never coming back. And number two, I say that because you as parents and me as a student pastor have a huge responsibility to care for these teenagers in our church. We have a huge responsibility. If you as a parent lift up sports, school, music, and other extracurricular activities above the church, above family devotions, above family prayer, then I feel like we're not setting our students up for success. If I, as the youth pastor, uplift programs and fun over discipleship and biblical teaching and training, then I'm not setting our students up for success. You as parent and I as youth pastor will stand before God for how we have stewarded and walked with these students. And we should not take that lightly. And so while I'm all about sports, I played sports all throughout high school and loved it. It's so valuable. School, so valuable. Let us not, whether we realize it or not, place all these things over the gospel, over the church, over the Great Commission. This is a challenging message for me because I don't want to stand before God and have to give an answer for all these students that I just let walk away because I didn't do them justly. I didn't serve them well. So parents, I don't want you to have the same story, but also take hope that students are returning to the church. Statistics say that some of them are coming back. So maybe you know of one that has left the church, left the faith deconstructed the Christian faith and says, I don't believe in God anymore, or I believe in this, or I believe in, uh, you know, some progressive Christianity. Take heart that the prodigal can return, and let us pray for those students. Let us pray for those young people, that they would come back to the house of the Lord. Parents, I'm here for you to partner with you, to walk alongside of you. I love you, and whatever you need, however I can serve your family and serve your students, please let me know. I'm on your side. We're on the same team. I'm not competing with you. I'm not competing with sports. We all have the same goal in mind, right? That our students would walk faithfully with the Lord day after day. I would end with this for everybody, not just parents, not just students. I would end with just these questions. We may know the Great Commission, but do we live it? We may know that we are called, but have we embraced it? We may feel the Holy Spirit's push, but will we resist it? What will you do in light of the teaching of God's word this morning? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that encourages us. You have a plan for us. You have a purpose every single day for us. We thank you for that. Lord, let us be challenged to live out your will for our life. All of us will be tempted to put so many things above you. Let that not be true of us. Help us, Lord. Empower us. Equip us to follow your plan. Follow your will for us. Pray for the young people in the room that they would be encouraged that the same Holy Spirit that was in the Apostle Paul, the same Holy Spirit that is in any great saint over the past 2,000 years is inside of them, able to work in them, able to move in them. God, would you raise up a group of young people at Calvary Valley Church that will make disciples who make disciples. 
God, would you help us evaluate our life, seeing what needs to leave and what needs to be added. Show us how we can redeem certain areas of our life so that they can be great commission ministries. Empower our parents, our businessmen, businesswomen, women, our nine to five workers, our elderly, our kids ministry. Empower us to make a difference. We pray all of this in your name.